Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. Starting a new series today. Excuse me. We're calling it uh, Psalms Awesome Mix Volume 1. So we're taking a little cue from uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, doing this awesome mix. If you guys, any uh, children of the 80s in the room? Anybody? So you might remember the, the mixtapes, love the mixtapes. Like I would make, here's, here's my mixtapes were, and, and a lot of you, I know a lot of you did the same thing. Like back in the day, like now you can like illegally bootleg download, you know, all kinds of MP3s and stuff like that. I don't recommend that. I'm just saying I'm not dumb. I know what happens. And so, uh, and so you can get all these, you know, kind of crystal clear quality recordings uh, of music uh, pretty easily on the internet. Back in the day when the struggle was real, uh, you know, we had to, we had to come by it a little bit differently. And so I would have one cassette recorder, uh, you know, recording, and then I would have my radio playing and mashing them up together. And I'm just recording songs that I liked off of the, you know, every Saturday, Casey Kasem did his top, you know, 20 or whatever, and listening to the top 20 countdown and, uh, you know, recording all those top 20 hits. Uh, and, and, and so when I'd go back and listen to them, I always had, you know, Casey Kasem's voice in there somewhere interrupting or some obnoxious, uh, uh, you know, uh, disc jockey, or occasionally, you know, I'd be, you know, in the middle of, uh, you know, some, some great, uh, Phil Collins or something. And, and in the middle of my Phil Collins song, you would hear Jeff, I told you to put the laundry away and, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. And so I had all that mixed in on my mixtapes. Uh, but anyway, so that, yeah, that was back when the struggle was real. Yeah. Question. Okay. Okay. Quick comment. I don't normally, it's not normally interactive, but go ahead. I used to get mixtapes too uh, around that time. And if you went to a record store, the ones that didn't sell would be in a bin. Nice. Nice. All right. Good to know. Let's go. Okay. So we, uh, so we dive in and, uh, you know, that, that whole mixtape thing. So when you look at the book of Psalms, if you don't know what Psalm means, Psalm is basically a song. And this, this is uh, the book of songs, Psalms, is, uh, was the uh, hymnal, if you will, uh, the, you know, God's awesome mix to us uh, for uh, the Hebrew people. And it's a, it's a, it's a whole book of, of just these of poetry or songs that was uh, memorized, that was sung often, uh, you know, when, when the people would gather together, just like we gather together and sing praises to God today. And the reason I love the book of Psalms so much, and I wish that our, I wish the songs that we sang were as bold as the Psalms are, because the book of Psalms covers the entire range of human emotion, the entire range of human emotion. We're going to look at, uh, some Psalms in here that, that you're going to be like, that doesn't seem like we should be singing that in church. And, uh, and, and, but I mean, it just covers the entire range and why? Because all emotion is a gift from God. All emotion is from God. Now, how we act on that emotion, what we do with that emotion can either be something that glorifies God, or it can be something that turns oftentimes into sin, but all emotion comes from God and has a purpose, I believe from God. And so we're going to look at a lot of those different things as, as they, as they play out in, uh, this, these beautiful passages in the book of Psalms. We're going to start with Psalm number one, if you want to flip over there, but I, before we get there, <coughs> one of the things, uh, if you don't know this about me, I'm kind of a fanboy. Like I really, 
uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things I, I just kind of, I get excited about, get really passionate about, and, and they kind of, they, a lot of them tend to run their cycles and things like that. I used to be a big uh, Star Trek uh, guy. I mean, like a big, like we had an entire room of our house that was nothing but Star Trek memorabilia. Jamie is so gracious to me. And, uh, and so, I mean, just, just a whole Star Trek decorating thing going on. And, and, uh, and so, but anyway, that, that was, that was a phase I went through and then I've been through all kinds of other phases. And, and, uh, right now I'm into collecting, uh, you know, vinyl records and stuff. And, and, uh, just, I'm really into that, but, um, something that started in me several years ago <coughs> is, um, a love for baseball. I love baseball so much. Um, now when I was a kid, um, like elementary age kid, I was a little bit of a baseball fan. I was really more of a baseball card fan as a kid. Uh, and, I, and like, I loved George Brett, and I, would, I had so many George Brett cards, you know, and just thought he was awesome. And, and, uh, and then we moved. My dad started pastoring a church in a small town in Oklahoma, Stewart, Oklahoma, population 300. Salute. And uh, that was a hee-haw reference for those of you who don't know. <laughs> Woo. Some of you are like, what's hee-haw? Oh. Anyway, it's back during when I was mixing tapes. Anyway. Um, so with, uh, you know, with the, uh, in Stewart, uh, at the school I went to, a very small school, um, kind of K through 12, all in the same building and, and not same room, it wasn't that small. Uh, but, but anyway, so all, you know, very, very small school. So as a young boy, I think about 10, when I started going to school there, uh, what happened was there were, you had two choices as a student. You either went and played baseball with the boys or you did home ec with the girls. Uh, that's the way that whole thing panned out. And so I wasn't about to do any sewing with the girls. And so even though I wasn't huge, you know, lover of baseball, I played baseball with the boys and, you know, set up camp in right field and, you know, kicked at the dandelions and stuff and, and, uh, and enjoyed spitting sunflower seeds in the dugout. And so, so that was kind of my baseball. I didn't really enjoy it, but I did it because again, didn't want to necessarily hang around with the girls at that point in my life. <laughs> and so, so then, um, um, you know, after we left that town and I didn't have to play baseball, I became much more interested in basketball. I love basketball, very fast paced. Baseball seemed kind of slow to me and that sort of thing at the time. And it wasn't, and I, I recently watched, um, there's a Ken Burns documentary. You can find it on Netflix, I think, uh, about baseball. Great, great documentary. But one of the things uh, that they highlight in this that I, I really wasn't aware of until recently is I mean, you've heard, we've all heard that phrase before about. Uh, you know, it's as American as baseball and apple pie, you know, that sort of thing. And, and there's a re- the reason that f- phrase exists is because years and years and years ago, baseball was as much a part of the American experience as anything you could ever dream of. That, and, and, and maybe more so, I mean, that baseball was on the, the lips and minds of everybody, man, woman, and child, all across this nation almost all the time. I mean, you go even back before radio, before people could even listen to games on on radio. You would you would in a town like this, you would go downtown and maybe on the side of the building at, you know, maybe a big building downtown like Bud's or something like that. There would be a a, a box score uh, like where they replaced the numbers and stuff like that, and the whole you know hundreds of people would gather around and just stand in the town square, staring up at the numbers on the box score, waiting for the numbers to change and cheering as the numbers would change. They'd be wiring in from the baseball game, you know, the results and and, and the way things. But people just absolutely loved baseball. If a president wanted to make a speech that he wanted to make sure everybody heard, he they would wire that speech into into the baseball games and he would make that speech, you know, across the PA system at a baseball game. Um, there, it's even been said that 
Jackie Robinson, the first African-American um, uh, baseball player, someone said that if there was no Jackie Robinson, there would have never been a Martin Luther King Jr. That because of America's love uh, and fascination with baseball, Jackie Robinson became kind of the social lubricant, if you will, that made it possible for Martin Luther King to ever stand up and give the speeches that he gave and be listened to. And so, I mean, it was just baseball was was as important or more important than anything else in this country. I mean, it's it's a, it's a, unbelievable. And 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 they they paint this picture in this documentary of 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 this time when I mean, it, there was so it was such a communal feeling. You would go out and everybody was talking about the games and the players and the score. And it was just it was just this common topic that everybody had to talk about and very communal in that sense. And, and so you fast forward to several decades, and then you have, you know, the you know, free agency and the big pay, you know, paydays that all the players are getting. People kind of got disgusted with that. And then you, you had, uh, you know, the union strikes, and people got disgusted with that. And eventually the steroid scandals, and people got disgusted with that. And the, the nation has since become a little disillusioned with baseball until, uh, and, and myself included in that number as a, as a young man, you know, just could care less about baseball anymore. And a lot of the nation felt the same way until... I believe 1998. 1998, if you remember, was the year that Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa were in the big battle, the home run, see who could do the home run, you know, be the home run king that year and break the home run record. And for the first time in decades, baseball was on the lips of the nation again. And me, as a guy who didn't care about baseball much at that time, I can just remember... Uh, you know, going out every day and seeing people. I would go down to the corner store, and so did which one of them hit a home run today? I'm, I'm asking those questions, and people are asking that questions of each each other. And it was that year that I kind of rediscovered my love for baseball again. And then I eventually became an A's fan, and and uh, and all the all the you know joy and heartache that goes with that. And and so and then and then and then now kind of a fan of baseball overall. Just I, I love baseball, and it was. But there was this kind of as a fan of that sport, um, there was this kind of progression that happened in my, I didn't just kind of wake up one morning being like, I'm going to, you know, think about baseball all day long, way more than I probably should. I mean, it just kind of happened over time that, you know, I kind of developed this love for the game. In the same way, uh, this this passage that we're going to talk about this morning uh, in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 1, um, sets up a progression that happens in a lot of our lives if we're not careful. And so let's look at that. Psalm chapter 1. All right. <clears throat> it says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, <coughs> nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Let's stop right there for a second. So right off the bat, we're looking at, you know, what does, what does the life of a blessed man look like? And the psalm writer tells us that if you're going to be considered a person who is blessed in the eyes of the Lord, he kind of gives us some negative absolutes, some things that are not true of a person who would be blessed. And one is they're not going to uh, walk in the counsel of the wicked. They're not going to stand in the way of sinners. They're not going to sit uh, in the seat of scoffers. And there's this progression that you see playing out in these verses, uh, verses of someone who is walking with a certain group of people, eventually standing with that group, and eventually kind of sitting and setting up camp with that group. It's not all at once. And, and, and what he's painting the picture of is that the person whose 
life becomes given over to sinful patterns and sinful behavior, sinful choices, it doesn't just happen all at once. You don't wake up one morning, dirty, rotten sinner, just kind of all at once. Generally, there are certain choices that you have made that lead to uh, what will ultimately be your ruin uh, or, or, or destruction, as we read about in just a second. I, I used to take, as a youth pastor, I used to take uh, teenagers into San Francisco to work with uh, YWAM, and they do this thing called Friday Night Evangelism where uh, youth groups can show up and they, they, they give everybody these big uh, uh, thermoses full of hot chocolate, and you just head out into the streets of the Tenderloin in, in uh, San Francisco, and you're just uh, offering hot chocolate to uh, drug users and drug dealers and prostitutes and anybody that you can kind of kind of talk with along the streets. Hey, would you like a cup of hot chocolate? And as you share it, and everybody's like, yeah, I'll take hot chocolate. And as you share your hot chocolate with them, uh, just, you know, you, you start hearing, they start telling you their stories. And every time we would come out of one of those encounters, uh, every group, there would be at least one kid that said the thing that they got most out of that uh, that activity was that the only difference between them and one of those guys with their lives ruined living out on the streets was just a couple of decisions. Just a couple of decisions. And our decisions that we make matter. Our decisions that we make absolutely matter. And the Bible paints this picture of when we make certain decisions. What is um, Dr. Phil, um, Jamie forces me to watch Dr. Phil. And uh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Phil has this saying that he, he'll say, uh, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. In other words, and we all have seen this come into play. If you've got, if you're a parent and you've got kids, you, you've especially seen this come into play. You can look at certain people and you can, uh, based on the decisions that they have made and are currently making, begin to see down the road the path that they're heading. And as a parent, you either see a path that looks great, that, that you're proud of, that, that, that you know, is, has, has a lot of hope and a lot of promise, or you can look at the, the decisions that your kids are making and red flags are going up and you're like, this is not going to end well. Maybe you can see the same thing in uh, you know, uh, patterns of decisions that your, your friends are making or, or your coworkers are making or, or people like that, the same thing where you can look at the past decisions, you can look at how that's progressed to now the current uh, decisions that they're making and, and, and pretty accurately depict how this is going to play out. And it's the same thing in the life of, of any human on this planet. That based on the decisions that you're making, oftentimes based on sometimes the company that you keep, if you're a person that tends to be a, maybe more of a follower than a leader, oftentimes it, you can pretty accurately depict or, or predict um, where that path is going to lead to, where that path is going to lead to. Now, th- there's an idea that, that comes up a lot of times in church where people will say something to the effect of, um, you know, it's, 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 not that, it's really not that big of a deal. And when they say it's really not that big of a deal, what they're usually referring to, what they're usually justifying is a decision that might seem a little bit unwise. So somebody kind of calls them on it and says, you know, what? I'm not sure if you really want to go down that road or I'm, not, I'm, I'm a little scared about this decision that you're making or I wish you wouldn't, you know, make that decision or whatever, you know. And the response is, you know, it's, 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 it's not that big of a deal. Can I just challenge you and say that if you find those words rolling out of your lips on a pretty regular basis, um, 
it's a bigger deal than you think. It's a bigger deal than you think. And, and, and that, don't get me wrong. We're not, we're not that church. <clears throat> we're not that church. We're not that legalistic, up in your business all the time. That, that's, that's not who we are. That's not the way we play this. We're a very loving congregation. We're a very forgiving congregation. We're a very screwed up congregation. Uh, and so, I mean, we, we get mistakes. We understand sin and, uh, and that sort of thing. But what we're talking about is, is because we're a loving congregation, it's also pretty common for people around here, if they love you, if they care about you, and they see you making choices that are, are destructive, uh, they might come to you and, and out of love say, hey, I, I noticed this. What's going on? How can I help? How can I encourage you? You know, you know whatever. And, and again, it's out of love. It's not out of judgment. It's, it's, that's what love looks like. That's what you do with people that you love, right? If you see your kid whom you love making horrible decisions and you say nothing, you know what? It's not really love. It's not really love. You, you, you kind of suck at loving your kid. If you see them making choices that are destructive, you know, you jump in. You know, like uh, Isaiah. <laughs> um, when he was about three years old. It's nothing now. Don't worry. Um, when, he, when he was about three years old, we were in Oklahoma City, and we were at um, the, the uh, uh, federal uh, the, the bombing memorial that they have set up down there where... where um, you know, where the federal building had got blown up. And, uh, and across the street from where the federal building was and where the memorial now is, across the street there was a, an old church, a very old kind of, a, I don't know, Episcopal church or something that sat there on that corner. And the church, when the memorial went up, they, they put on the corner, just across from the memorial, they put a statue of Jesus. It's a very kind of moving statue, but it's, it's, it, Jesus has his back to the memorial and kind of head in his hands as if he's kind of mourning what happened back there. And, and so we're standing across the street, Jamie and I, and we, we had some friends with us, and we're just looking up at that statue, and we're just kind of sitting there staring at it and kind of talking quietly to ourselves. And all of a sudden, we hear um, cars screeching to a halt and people screaming, like women screaming. And, um, and we turn and look, and Isaiah is out in the middle of traffic. And, and he's like three years old. And, and so obviously panic set in, but if I'm honest with you, I think for Jamie and I both that this, this split second set, set in where it was like, do we actually admit that that's our kid or do we stay right here and play it off? And, but we decided to do the right thing. We ran out in traffic and grabbed him. Okay. And, uh, and, and that sort of thing. But, but, but so, so Isaiah got a, a very, uh, stern talking to as a three year old, you know, we did too. We, we sternly talked to ourselves for letting our eyes get off of them as well. Uh, but there have been other times when our kids have kind of wandered out into traffic or wandered off or try to put their finger in an outlet. I don't have very bright kids. And, uh, and so we, uh, you know, they, they do that thing. And as a parent who loves them and you see them doing these kind of destructive things, you take matters into your hands and you do something about that. You do whatever it takes to teach them, to train them that, that this is not going to go well for you. Not going to go well for you, right? And the same thing as a person who loves another person in our church. If I see you wandering off into spiritual traffic, so to speak, I'm going to jump out there with you and, and one, try to pull you back to safety. And two, try to encourage you in a way that, that, that speaks some wisdom into your life and, and about the decisions that you're making. Again, not judging. It's called love. It's called love. And as we see... People, each other start to do this, we step in and we, we start doing that. But make no mistake about it. 
the decisions that you make right now have an effect. They have an impact on your life. And this progression can kind of take in. Now now look at the tail end of that where it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The blessed man is not setting up camp in sin or necessarily with uh, you know, people who will negatively influence him or her. But the blessed person takes his delight in God's word. Takes her delight in God's word. Meditates on what this book means to us. The reason for that is, you know, you know we've been talking a lot recently about kind of wrong questions. And whenever we start talking about you know, people wandering into sin and kind of falling away from God or whatever, the question inevitably is going to come up, well, are, are they still saved? You know, are, will they, are they still going to go to heaven? And again, I would say it's the, it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. I, I, my, the question I would ask is, did they ever really understand the gospel in the first place? Because this is what I know. When you get a clear view of what Christ has done for us and the way that God loves us and the implication, true understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot hold it, treat it cheaply. It has value. It has impact, life-changing <coughs> impact on your life. When the Bible, so the problem is a lot of us um, are, you know, we're kind of fanboys of Jesus. We're fans of Jesus. Um, we're, we're dating Jesus. We're just dating him. I, I knew this guy years ago that you know, he would been dating this, this girl for like 20 years, would not commit, would not commit, just stringing her along. And all of us that were friends of theirs, just, we would get so frustrated with a good guy, but we would just get so frustrated with him. Will you please, I mean, you obviously care about her. You love her, you know, go ahead and, you know, get married. And we're trying to encourage him in that direction. And Eventually he did, which was great. But for 20 years, he just strung this poor, poor, poor girl along and her emotions were all over the map and it was just a mess. And some of you, you are a little bit infatuated with Jesus. You're curious about Jesus. You've had some sort of uh, encounter with Jesus, but you're just dating him. You're just dating him and you haven't. But this is what, when you read the word of God, you'll never find one reference, one descriptor in all of scripture that refers to uh, the human being's relationship with God as a date. It's always referred to what? What? A marriage. A marriage. A covenant. A lifelong commitment. Uh, it, is, it is diving in headlong for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. That is, that is our relationship with God. It, it is a covenant that transcends circumstances. It's a covenant that transcends feelings. It is, it is a covenant that is, is not, not just based on your covenant to God, but more importantly, based on his covenant with us. And when we dive into that kind of relationship, when we stop dating God and start instead living in covenant with him and get a clear view of what happened on the cross and what Jesus really means to us and the sacrifice that was made for us and the love that is that is poured out on us and the grace that is given to us and the kingdom that's being prepared for us. When you get a clear view of all that is going on and the way that God loves us and that whole thing, I'm just going to tell you, if you can sit comfortably in a life of sin, I'm not talking about just sinning. We all sin. I'm talking about setting up camp in your sin. 
just like, this is who I am, I can't change, I'll just, you know, God loves me anyway, but I'm going to keep sinning. If you can do that, you're wicked. I'm just going to say it, you're wicked. You you have no understanding of the gospel. It is not any. In the same way in my relationship with my wife, I have a, a covenant, a lifelong commitment to a marriage with, if I just decide out of the blue that, you know, I want to flirt with women, date other women, instead of fleeing from flirting women, women um, that's going to significantly alter my relationship with Jamie and, and probably alter the shape of my nose. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna, things are going gonna to change. Things are going to change. Why? Because I'm not dating Jamie. I'm not, we, we, I mean, we, we go on dates together, and that's a good time. But ultimately, I, it's something stronger than just a dating relationship. I'm in a, a marriage with her. I'm in a covenant relationship with her. And the relationship that we are called to be in with God is the same. It is a covenant relationship. And if you think you can hold on to this faith casually, you have no understanding of the gospel. And the Bible calls you, as we'll see in this verse, wicked. Wicked. You may think, I'm not a wicked guy. I'm not a wicked lady. Okay, but the Bible disagrees with you. God disagrees with you. The relationship that we're called into is not casual. There's nothing casual about it. We need to be people who will... Now, again, I'm not talking about... I'm I'm, I'm a a sinner. Don't get me wrong. I'm a sinner. I sin way more often than I wish I did. But whenever I find myself beginning to establish patterns of sin, getting comfortable with my sin, starting to set up camp in certain sinful behaviors. There is something so um, repellent about that to me. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in me. The gospel has taken roots in, in my life. And I can't allow myself to live that way. I can't allow myself to live that way. Some of you have, <laughs> very few of you, not very many of you, but a few of you, over the years have, have expressed some discomfort in kind of my transparent, honest style of, of preaching. Um, you'd like to have a pastor who honestly is a little bit better Christian than I am. And, um, and to that, I just say, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not. I'm sorry. You just got to deal with it. Um, but I, I would just say this. The reason, the reason I'm transparent, the reason I'll stand up before you and confess my sins and, and, and do that is because I, I can't, because the gospel has taken root in my life to such a degree, I cannot stand up here and be false. It's not in me to do that. It's not in me to do that. If, I'm, if I preach a sermon on marriage, I'm also going to confess the sins I've made in my marriage. Why? Because I'm not going to stand up here and be false. We're going to be a people who are living this blessed life that this verse talks about. We have to be a people who We'll get real with who we are. It means that as Christians, as followers of Christ, we, we begin to establish certain patterns in our own lives, structure our lives in such a way that we recognize our own weaknesses and we structure them out of our life, if at all possible. So if you're a person that struggles in a temptation, whatever that might be, whether it's a a sexual temptation, whether it's a, a pride temptation, whether it's a, 
you know, just, you know, whatever. I mean, any number of temptations that are out there. Um, you need to make certain decisions in your life. As somebody who wants to keep Christ at the center of your life, you need to make certain decisions in your life that create boundaries in your life that keep you from crossing certain boundaries because you know your weaknesses. Now, there, there's something that will rise up in your brain when you start to say that, which is, you know, your, your, your mind will start to tell you things like, well, this is, this is restricting, uh, this is uh, you know, childish, you know, I'm a grown person, I shouldn't need to do this, you know, whatever. But I'm, I'm going to tell you there's a great level, a huge level of wisdom and maturity to a person who will recognize their weaknesses and structure their lives to make sure they don't go down certain paths that they are prone to go down. There is a great level of maturity and wisdom to that. And it shows a love for God. In the same way, when I got married to Jamie, we began to make certain decisions to make sure that we kept our covenant with one another. We began to put boundaries up in our relationship to make sure that there was no opportunity for us to fail. Now, some, again, some people will call that childish. And um, whatever, I'll see you at your divorce. But I, I plan on going the distance. I plan on going the distance, okay? Um, let's finish this out. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by the blessed person. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He makes this reference to chaff. And what it is, it's a reference to uh, when they would bring the wheat in uh, to harvest. After it was all dry and ready to harvest and everything, you know, they would bring it in. They would put it on a big, uh, um, often at times it was called a threshing floor. It would sometimes be like a large tarp. They would get out in the wind with it, and they would pop that tarp up and let all that wheat go up into the air. And the good stuff, the stuff that they wanted to eventually turn into grain and, and, and things like that that could be used, was heavier, and it would fall back to the tarp. And all the chaff, all the uh, you know, kind of uh, withered, uh, lightweight parts of it that was good for nothing would, as the wind caught it, would just blow away in the wind. And he would say the same, he's saying the same thing about us as followers of Jesus Christ. That when we have structured our lives in such a way that we don't allow ourselves opportunities to fall into destructive patterns in our lives, when we make sure that we take our relationship with Christ seriously, our covenant with Him seriously, and when the storm happens and we are kicked up in the air If our roots are firmly in the gospel, we'll come back down. But if they're not, if our relationship is based on a good cry and a little bit of emotion or whether or not, you know, my relationships are going well right now or my job is going well right now or I have money in the bank, if if, if our whole relationship with God is based on what he's giving us, what we're getting out of him, then when the, the storm hits and we're popped up in the air, what happens? It's what happens, what we all see happen from time to time in this church and every other church. People just drift away. They just drift away. Why? Because there was really nothing of substance there anyway. There was nothing of substance there anyway. 
But some of you, you will, I'll hear comments occasionally about, you know, why is, <laughs> why, I'll actually hear people say something to the effect of, you know, why, why does God hate me? Why is all this stuff happening to me? Or, or uh, you know, why, why can't I ever seem to get ahead? Why can't I ever, you know, this verse talks about the, the, the blessed man is going to, you know, who, who is, who delights in the law and delights in the word and, and basically is firmly planted in the gospel that he's going to prosper and things like that. Why he doesn't, you know, why is all this bad, negative stuff constantly happening to me? And I, and I would, again, I would just ask you, you know, where is it that you're positioned? Where have you positioned your life? Where, how have you structured your life? We occasionally, in our, uh, our staff meetings, our elder meetings that we have, uh, you know, throughout the week and throughout the month, uh, we get together and leadership in the church meets and we talk over things. And occasionally, it's really easy for us, pray for us in this, because it's really easy for us to kind of fall into this thing where we start kind of um, church griping. <clears throat> Where, where even though we love this church so much, every church has things that we wish we could be doing better or wish, that we wish were going better. And it's really easy for us to kind of, kind of spiral into this thing where we're like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know, I wish we had more volunteers or I wish, you know, whatever. I wish, uh, <laughs> I don't know, any number of things that, you know, happen in church that you just wish were going a little bit differently or whatever. And we, we've, we've adopted this phrase, basically, when we get into that, those kind of conversations. And it is this, that our church is perfectly designed to get the exact results that we are getting. Our church is perfectly designed to get the exact results that we are getting. In other words, if there's a result that we don't like, it's not your fault. It's because we're not leading properly. It's because we have structured things in such a way that we're we're not getting that result that we want. And I would say the exact same thing is true about all of our lives. Your life is perfectly designed to get the exact result that you are getting. If you find yourself lonely all the time, spiraling out into depression because of it, your life is perfectly designed to get that result. If you find yourself constantly at odds with people in authority over you, whether it's a boss or a wife, <laughs> that's bad, <laughs> or, um, <laughs> or, um, or a parent, or, or whoever, a teacher, if you find yourself perfectly, I mean, if you find yourself constantly at odds with people in authority over your life, your life is perfectly designed to get the exact results you're getting. What do they say? Uh, a crazy person is a person who tries something and fails and then tries the exact same thing again, hoping to get a different result. And, and that, that's so true. If you don't like the results that you're getting out of your life, it's nobody's fault but your own. There might be some restructuring that needs to, be, to take place in your life, whether it's around your career or the way you're doing family or the way you're doing community or the way you were doing church or, or whatever that might be, the way you're doing school. Your life is perfectly designed to get the exact results that it's currently getting. If you don't like those results, then something has to change. Something has to change. And it could be that you need to retrain your brain in areas in spiritual matters like we're talking about today, that you need to retrain your brain to think differently about the way that you live your life. That if you really want to live that blessed life, a life that, that is looked at by God and counted as blessed, then you need to structure your life in such a way where Christ is at the center of every part of your life. Every part of your life. 
Christ is not something that you come and sing about on a Sunday morning and never think about again the rest of the week. Jesus is not somebody you go to like, uh, you know, the, a, a magic genie whenever you need something. Uh, that instead Jesus is at the center of your life and the life that you live serving him is centered around that. It's completely, there is a great amount of fulfillment and peace and, and blessedness that is found in a life centered around Jesus. Even if it's not blessed the way that the world may count blessed. Even if it's not tons of stuff and cars and houses and money and promotions and you know whatever else that it is you're looking for in life. That there is, thank God that thing turned off, that was great. Um, that there is a that there is something about a life centered around Jesus that you will find that contentment, you will find that peace that you're looking for. There was a time when uh, when Jamie and I's marriage was completely on the rocks. I mean, in my mind anyway, we were this close to divorce. It was it was a bad bad time in our our marriage. And and yet even through that. Even through all of that, when we were not um, serving each other very well. Um, one thing I've always known about my wife is I have no illusions that she loves me more than she loves God. Because I know that's not true. I married a woman who loves God first and foremost, and she knows she married that in me as well. And so even when we weren't serving each other well, we were attempting anyway to serve God well. And our relationship with Christ, I'll put it this way. If I, if I had not been a Christian during that season of our marriage, we would not be married today. Just plain and simple, we would not be married today. And it is, it is that Christ-centeredness of our lives, is that focus on the gospel and focus on Jesus Christ that will oftentimes save you from a thousand sins, from a thousand failures. Because while I might go through a season, as I did years and years ago with Jamie, where I'm not feeling great about the marriage and I wish I could give up, if my focus is on Jesus, that focus will help me to rise above how I feel about the situations of my life. Why? Because I structured my life in such a way that nothing was more important to me than Jesus. Can I tell you, a lot of times... When people are struggling in their relationship with Christ, it's because there are other things or other people in their lives that they worship more. Let me say something to you. There are some of you in this room. You don't want to admit it, but I'll admit it for you. There are some of you in this room who would abandon your faith for your family. You worship your family more than you worship your God. We serve a very jealous God. The Bible, that's exactly the, word, the exact word that the Bible uses. He's a jealous God. In other words, he created everything. Every cell in our bodies, everything about our being, this entire universe, he created it all. And he is a God who demands glory. It's our primary role as human beings to bring glory to God. It's our primary role as a church to bring glory to God. 
not just in singing songs, but in the way that we live our lives and the way that we structure our lives. And if you're a person that tends to worship your family, place them in priority above your relationship with Christ, or you worship your job or your role or your status in the community more than you worship God, and you're willing to whore out yourself for the sake of those other things rather than serving God and being faithful to him, I would not want to be in your shoes. I would not want to be in your shoes. I don't stand up here sanctimonious saying I get it right all the time because I don't. I'm just saying we need to be a people who will worship God first and foremost. And everything, And this is, this is the beautiful thing. A lot of times we hear that and we think, man, God, that doesn't seem very fair from God or it seems, it seems kind of petty or whatever else. But no, because what happens is when you put God, as, as I just gave an example of with, with Jamie, when you put God first and foremost, it elevates your marriage. When you put God first and foremost, foremost, it elevates your parenting. It elevates your career. It elevates uh, everything that you do in your life. Why? Because what's it, what's it say that uh, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and, 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 and then he will lift you up? Uh, there's a verse in, in, uh, in the Old Testament that says, God is the God of our promotions. In other words, when we submit to him, when we make him first, it actually elevates the way we do life every other, every other way, in every other area of life. It's not God being selfish. It's God, again, God's pretty smart, it turns out. And he knows that when we structure this thing right, it's not just all about him. He, in turn, pours that back out on us, and it elevates our lives as well. Not that we're necessarily out there looking for elevation. We want to be people who are about the glory of God, but God is just good that way. He's just good. This is, uh, that. put up that next slide. It says this, uh, the blessed life is not found accidentally. The blessed life is not found accidentally, and that's true. You're not going to stumble upon it. It has to be, you'll get there by very intentional decisions. Jesus says it this way in Matthew uh, chapter 7. Matthew 7, uh, verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. It's a kind of a popular notion that eventually all roads lead to God. And Jesus says the exact opposite is true. All roads do not lead to the same place. Well, all roads but one lead to the same place. There's one road that leads to to life, one. And the gate that, that you open up to get on that road, that small, very narrow, hard-to-find road, there's a name across the top of that gate, and that name is Jesus Christ. And every other road leads to destruction. Every other road. Whether it's the road of, of elevating your family into the place of God or your career into the place of God or, or worshiping some other God, whatever you're putting your attention, your focus, your worship on in your life, they all lead to destruction unless it's all about Jesus. Unless it's Jesus. So, that said, let's be a people who will structure our lives in such a way that we very intentionally, very purposefully get the result that we hope to get, which is life. Which is a blessed life. We want to be that people. Don't be that person who thinks that you can kind of 
you know, have one foot in the door and one foot out, kind of, you know, flirting with, uh, you know, the ways of this world or sinful patterns, sinful behavior in your life. Instead, stand firmly with Christ, delight in his word, meditate on it, become familiar with it, Victoria, it becomes so ingrained in who you are. Like I said earlier, I, I love baseball. I'm not quite the guy yet who can, you know, call up stats from 20 years ago on specific players and, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's not so ingrained in me like that yet. I, I kind of hope it never does. Uh, but but so there's some of you, you know, that, that if you're big sports fans. I mean, you can pull up statistics and player stats and all kinds of just, you know, right out of your mind from all kinds. I mean, you're just, just crazy the way you can recall that stuff. That's how I want to be about the Word of God. I want the word of God so ingrained into who I am that whenever I'm, whenever I'm presented with a situation in my life, the right thing to do, the right decision, the wise decision automatically pops in my head. The one that's grounded in God's word, that's, that's rooted in the gospel automatically comes to me. So if I'm making the wrong, wrong choice, it's because I'm intentionally making the wrong choice, not because I'm ignorant of the right choice. I want that to be ingrained in me that way. And I want all of us to be that way. Delight in the Lord. Center your life on the gospel. Don't stand and flirt with sin and sinners and things like that. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, you cut off all your relationships outside the church. That's a mistake. Don't do that. I'm just saying if you tend to be a person who is dragged down by the people of your, that you're around or the choices that you're making, then it might be time to do some things differently. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Once again, your word is good to us, and uh, we thank you so much that you give us clear direction from your word on how to um, live a life that is pleasing to you. And so, uh, God, help us. God, if there's any of us in this room that are struggling with any, um, <coughs> any, any sin right now where we are, or maybe I should say that we've stopped struggling with a sin. God, we've given ourselves over to it, and we are just setting up camp in that behavior, in that sin. Uh, would you convict us? Would you uh, chase after us, draw us back close to you? God, if, if, that is, if there's anything in my life like that, God, I, I definitely repent of it right now. I, I, want, I don't want to live a life that is not pleasing to you. God, I want, to, I want to be close to you. I want to know you. I want this covenant that is between you and I to mean something. So keep me close. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.